Are your customer acquisition costs too high? Lifetime values too low? Are you uncertain if your communication strategies are helping or hurting the efficiency and effectiveness of your marketing efforts? Welcome to the Continuous Revenue Marketing Podcast, where the most influential marketers in the world are sharing their insights and lessons on the critical topics they and their chief executives must address daily. How to drive consistent business growth by delivering more revenues through profitable acquisition and customer lifetime value maximization strategies. What you're going to hear today by listening to this podcast are the actual strategies and tactics our marketing experts are using to achieve these critical missions. Hi, I'm Russell Kern, CEO and founder of Kern and Omnicom Agency, and I'm joined by my co-host and producer, Elliot Dennis. And today we are honored to have as our special guest, Eric Harris, AVP Brand and Creative of E-Trade from Morgan Stanley. And Eric, it's nice to meet you and thank you and welcome for joining our podcast today. Good to be Uh, here. Thanks. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. You know, clearly, let's set the stage and give people context of who you are, your background, where you are. You have extensive background in digital design on the agency side, and now you're leading brand and creative uh, internally at E-Trade. Can you give us us a little bit of background on your career path and what drove you ultimately to E-Trade? It's interesting because I actually started at an in-house agency in a regulatory regulated industry. Then I went to an agency and then back to in-house. So it's almost uh, full circle. Um, once again, finding myself in the highly regulated industry. So um, it's been fun from the start. Right out of college, I got uh, got my feet wet at a medical devices agency, uh, medical device company rather, as a graphic designer. Um, and we were in an in-house um, print production and marketing and advertising um, departments. So um, a lot of what we did was design for print, um, sell sheets, catalogs, trade show displays, that kind of thing. Uh, one day the boss said, hey, who can update this website page? Our company had a little fledgling website and I volunteered and I got hooked. So you mentioned highly regulated industries. Mm-hmm. So how does that affect you as um, the brand and uh, creative leader within the business? You know, how is that different than others? What does that change for you? Okay. Well, um, being regulated means you can't say certain things or you can't say it in certain ways. Uh, For instance, um, in medical devices, you're regulated by the FDA. And when you're talking about a product that's going into someone's body that could affect their health and affect their life, um, you have to be very clear on what it does and what it can do, what it is and what it isn't. Um, there's not a lot of room for uh, storytelling per se. You can't um, you can't make any advertising claims that aren't on the up and up 100%. So um, in terms of creativity, it seems like uh, you're a little constrained by those regulations. Um, what you learn to do is is express the brand through um, through other means other than um, storytelling in the in the retail sense. So. Got it. Uh, yeah. So I, I have a, a, a another thing that you mentioned uh, mentioned, which was, you know, I was asked to do something in terms of website. I started to do coding, and then I learned front coding. What I hear that have accomplished your success is you volunteered early, you learned, and the more you got involved, the more you grew. 
And so, I mean, right. I maybe mean, that's a philosophy you can expand upon for any marketers that are listening that how important it is just to take advantage of opportunity because you never know what the future is going to be. All right. You never do. And uh, we uh, work in an industry that's always at kind of the cutting edge of technology and innovation. And there's always going to be something new. Um, you know, when I was in college, uh, the internet the internet was relatively new and we had teachers in college teaching on subjects that they themselves were only just learning or had learned maybe for you know a few months so it's it's always been you know an evolving um, thing it's been a process so I would say yeah you have to reach out and learn and volunteer do new things and uh, and be ready to take on new ideas and new responsibilities that's just how just how it works in the world that we live in yeah, you know, I sure. couldn't agree more with that. I I talk about all the time that you know I had my my masters in my twenties essentially. I'm learning digital overnight. You know, as you know, kind of like consider that young hot shot. I'm like, I'm learning this in real time, just like you are. Mm-hmm. It's coming out right when we're you know graduating from college, our generation. So I kind of so I know we have a very interesting perspective you and I on technology. You know, so for, so from webmaster to interactive art director and now you know leading brand and creative. Can you share with the audience, you know, how that digital background, you know, well positioned you to now lead uh, brand and creative and, you know, all above the line and all traditional, et cetera? Oh, sure. Sure. So um, I think to me, it all goes back to I mentioned college and, you know, learning principles and, you know, first principles of design, which are things like balance, unity, rhythm, variety, contrast, um, everything that we do visually and in terms of even sound, like the texture of sound and the mood that it adds to to an advertising spot, um, it all it all kind of plays the same way. Um, these first principles of design, kind of when you apply them, um, you can be successful at just about any medium. So I kind of applied those things to everything that I did. You know, not just graphic design, but in, in terms of marketing, there's a certain you know pace and a rhythm that you want to go for in copywriting the same deal so um i think uh, my background in trying to learn everything new that i could and taking on different things just um just helped me you know gain more experience in applying these principles to uh to new things and that culminates in you know what is known today as branding like we didn't always have branding as kind of a separate discipline right we had sales and marketing yeah. And especially, you know, where I was coming from in a primarily B2B situation, sales and marketing always leans a little towards sales. So um, I think uh, extrapolating the marketing from sales and marketing and further extrapolating branding from that, um, it's been a great help in just having those those guiding principles. Yeah. You know, as we we're talking before, you know, our kind of call here, Eric, it's great seeing you again. We met at A&A, you know, uh, back mm-hmm. when we we're starting to be hybrid again in person last summer. So, um, you know, on that trend, uh, speaking of A&A, you know, they released a monumental study in 2018 that's, uh, I quote, 78% of its members had an in-house agency compared to 53% in 2013. And then there's been a lot in the media the last uh, year and a half as that age and others report there's been about 7% increase in housing during the pandemic. So I definitely say, you know, in housing is no longer a trend, you know, it's definitely, you know, mm-hmm. here to stay. So what's been your take now you've been in each for about six years and you know what, you know, what, how have you seen that evolve over those six year times and, you know, what's been working well um, and maybe not so well. And, you know, what do you kind of see as the future um, for, again, for to Russell's point, CMOs, you know, pondering whether or not they should, you know, bring some of that work in house. 
Yeah, yeah. So I think that um, external agencies have always been kind of a thing, and especially for larger, more established companies. And I think there will always be a place for the external agency. Um, like I said, you always need that occasional injection of fresh thought, or you always need um, extra hands to work on things like trafficking. Um, but in terms of um, anything that touches you know, intellectual property and the secret sauce that makes your company tick, I think um, having in house employees. Uh, means that they're closer to the brand, they're closer to the company culture, they're able to express that authentically. And um, that authenticity, I think, equals currency in today's marketplace in a very real way. Um, I think um, also COVID, you know, um, just the fact that we all went remote for a long time, or many of us had to go remote, I think it's kind of broken down or narrowed that line between external and internal agencies. Um, when you went to work with an external agency, a lot of time, it was a phone call or a zoom. And, um, that was different from what you did when you just went next door to somebody's desk and said, Hey, can you help me with this? Um, so now instead of going to somebody's desk in the office, you're, you're going to zoom again. So that line is getting thinner. And I think it's making people realize that, um, it's not exactly where someone sits on your team, but what they're doing. And uh, realizing that we can connect with people just as easily on a virtual basis as we can in person. So I see um, I see in-housing as, as a great thing. Um, I think uh, the more companies internalize that stuff that makes them special, I think the more they have a competitive advantage, um, the more they can be authentic in the marketplace. And uh, like I said, I think there's always going to be a place for the external agency. So um, we'll just see how it evolves. Do you ever worry, Eric, that the team doesn't bring a breath of perspective? In other words, the team gets, I'll use the word stale, or we've been focused on, on working on it because we're so close to it. How do you, or how do you balance and maintain your team's freshness? Because I, I do hear on one mm-hmm. point, it's, listen, they know our culture, they know our business, they know our brand, they're very efficient, they live the brand. Um, but depending mm-hmm. on what the project is, is there any downside on in-housing creatively? Sure. I mean, there could be, you always want to stay fresh, right? And, um, there's the opportunity to get stale if you're just doing the same things over and over again. Um, so, so like I said, I think it's, it's not about where you sit, but what you're doing. And if, um, if what you're doing in, in-house is owning that intellectual capital and owning the brand juice, as it were. You need to stay fresh doing that by moving on to different projects. If um, if your in-house team, all they're doing is cranking out banner ads, that's going to get stale. Yeah. So yeah. once you design the banner ad, once you design the system that your visual creative goes into, it's fine to outsource that or send it to another team and then kind of govern its use based on your brand guide. Um, move on to something else and stay fresh. Uh, a brand is always evolving. It's always changing like people are. So um, I think there's always going to be another thing to move on to if if you just um, make sure to keep your eyes open to it, you know, keep your head up and move forward. So, so. I'm going to, Elliot, if you wouldn't mind, and then maybe you can go deeper into this question, into this aspect. But, you know, the, the market's moved. Consumers are moved. Without providing trade secret, how do you see the consumer of financial services having changed in this last year? Or even in these last months, what, what, what are you, what do you, what do you feel 
that you can share with our audience about the change of consumer sentiment and perspective about financial services and advisory services, investment services? Oh, wow. Yeah, so I hope I don't get in trouble for commenting on any no, of this. Just... I'm, I'm certainly uh, not a financial guy. Um, from where I sit, I've seen, uh, you know, probably what everyone else is seeing in public. If you're watching, you know, uh, Wall Street or CNBC or whatever, um, you're seeing that um, there was an explosion in investing. There's also been, you know, a lot of trouble in the marketplace. You know, stocks are really, really down right now. Um, and um, I'm sure there's a lot of different factors for that. But it seemed like somehow between everybody staying at home in COVID and the breakdown of the supply chain and, you know, wars overseas and everything, there was like this perfect storm of, of um, financial activity. So it's become a very, very active industry to be working in. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, Elliot, let me throw it over to you. Yeah, on that kind of tone of trends, and, and I love what you shared about the blurring the lines between internal and external, you know, and it's not really where they are, it's, it's what they're doing. Uh, congrats, you were uh, a judge on ANA's recent in-house agency conference for their in-house excellence award. So again, you know, as the evolution has evolved over the years, it's really exciting to see that there now actually is an in-house agency forum and there are, you know, awards there just like FE awards, et cetera, et cetera. So um, can you tell us about some of their trends you picked up, you know, from the in-housing overall and from other companies that you were watching, not so much just, you know, what you were guys are doing or what you're doing in your sector, but, you know, what are just some of those other trends you picked up from, you know, any vertical um, that were some of those award winners that you were judging uh, that all have robust in-house teams? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I wanted to say the ANA is a great organization and I'm really thankful to be a part of that. Um, also thankful to my company for allowing us to do this um, paneling, this judging on uh, in-house company time. So uh, thanks for that. Um, we saw a lot of different trends and the thing that really stood out to me is the quality of the work um, coming through in-house teams, how it's gotten higher um, over the years. Um, one, uh, one campaign uh, dealt with TikTok and like soft drinks um, which something that, you know, wasn't even around, you know, 15 years ago, that was just, it was just great to see that this was done in-house. Um, uh, Coors did something um, uh, related to what's that karate kid show? The Cobra, Cobra Kai. Kai, the new Netflix. Yeah. 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 So we got to look at their spots um, uh, in terms of, in terms of trends. I think that's the main thing that I'm seeing is just, um, it may have something to do with the trend you mentioned of in-housing. Um, the quality of the work has just um, gotten better in-house that, that you used to see. So, I'm going to follow up, um, you know, because we're, I want to talk about Super Bowl just a little bit. You're very famous from your creativity as it relates to the E-Trade baby and the Super Bowl. Uh, Kern does a lot on and is committed to neuroscience testing of Super Bowl ads. You know, we grab ads before the game. We send them to our neuro testing uh, lab. We get the results because everyone's spending tens of millions of dollars of various types to create their ads, but not all ads generate the same engagement and persuasion and memorability and action desired. What can you share about your overarching strategy as it relates to Super Bowl itself, your E-Trade baby, you know, again, no trade secret, but how do you, how <laughs> yeah. do you see that fit into the business? 
it's it's easy not to share trade secrets on this because I'm not even part of the team that did the Super Bowl ad. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> but good. Uh, my boss was just talking about this in another forum and um, said that the E-Trade baby just kind of took off unexpectedly. There were um, there was a process that went into selecting that ad campaign, and um, it could have gone either way, but it it went skyward. Um, I think that um, that E-Trade has always kind of been smart about its brand in the marketplace and and what's going to resonate with that target audience, which is, you know, um, the more tech forward, tech savvy, um, kind of upstart. I don't know if upstart is the right word, but you know, I'm getting at like, yeah, um, it's a good word. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love startup culture and it felt like, it felt like E-Trade was still a startup culture when I joined, you know, in uh, 2016. So um, that that freshness and that energy, I think, has always been a big part of what makes it a good brand. And I think they just followed that um, with the E-Trade baby idea into the Super Bowl where it premiered. And that was that was a long time ago. And it's still going like we just brought it back, you know, in this last Super Bowl. And um, it still really resonates with people. You know, it's a very interesting thing. You have the Aflac duck, which has been around a long time. And when you look at the history of brands... Some of them 20 years, 30 years, 40 years of a constant thematic because I think one of the problems with marketers is we get tired of our own work before the consumer is really paying attention. Mm-hmm. And you know, the fact that you bring it back says, hey, there must have been some research and insight that helped you realize, hey, it's sticking to the brand values and helping us differentiate our brand values than all the other uh, investment firms out there. Um, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, you got to give credit to leadership. Do they, do you, do you, can you share, do they use qualitative quantitative methodologies of creative selection? Is it intuition or, you know, some combination thereof? Yeah, I think it's a combination. Um, there's a very long process of deciding what's going to be done and how it's going to be done. Um, you may start out with 10 different ideas on the table, narrow it down to three, and then, you know, one rises to the top. So um, when this last uh, E-Trade Baby campaign came out, I felt like I was one of the last to know because um, it was being kept very close mm-hmm. uh, within the team that was working on it. And they didn't mm-hmm. want to leak it too soon and, and ruin mm-hmm. that buzz effect before the big game. So um, talking with the people that did it afterwards, I kind of learned that it had been going on for a solid year nine months to a year, you know, before the game day. So, so there's a huge process that goes into it and a lot of thought. So I'm sure that qualitative quantitative metrics and everything else are a part of that. Good. Elliot, did you have a follow-up question before I close with our closing thought? Um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of, my last qu- closing question for yours, Russell, was to kind of bring it back a little bit. You, you Again, you gave some great tips there and um, can you just share for, again, for CMOs that might be considering, you know, taking more of the work in-house, you know, some of the ways you partner and divide and conquer with your external agencies, you know, and your internal agencies. So you kind of started talking to some of that a little bit. This, you know, the, the Super Bowl spot was an example that I had read, you know, some of the external work teams that were involved along with your internal team. So just as much as you can, you can share, just what are some of the ways you guys divide and conquer and kind of work together as one unified team? Sure. Um, personally, I think I would just encourage... Uh, CMOs to bring as much of that in-house as they can. But 
you know, again, on a case by case basis, being judicious about it. Um, it's not uh, where people sit, but what they're doing. And I think you need to get the people in house doing the stuff that matters the most to the brand, right? Um, internal people can kind of bring their full attention to your company instead of being on multiple different accounts at once, which is often the case at external agencies. Um, with their tenure, they develop, you know, more intimate knowledge, even a love for the brand. Um, and they uh, benefit from that combined memory or, you know, working knowledge of all the coworkers together as they develop as a team. Um, all of that adds up in, um, in really substantive ways over time, I think. And it, it shows in your work. Um, on the cost side, I think, I think it could be a wash. I mean, depending on what you're doing, it costs money to bring things in house and it costs money to do things externally. Um, so I would say, you know, look at that upfront investment and, you know, the long tail returns. I think what you're going to see in most cases is a better long tail return bringing things in house than you would um, going external. Uh, you know, but again, I think there will always be a place for that external agency. And it's just uh, judiciously using one resource or another on a case by case basis. Good. Good. So, you know, I've seen the trend go both ways. Um, it's wonderful to hear your passion for the inside agency. I know one of our large clients moved a ton of work inside and then decided to go the other direction, but clearly you have strong success um, with it. And so I just want to leave with a closing question. If for anybody who's up and coming, as a marketer or a CMO, given all your experience beyond, you know, the in-house advice, just as a, as a leader of creative people, what would you give them as philosophy, how to be a good creative leader? As philosophy, I don't know. Um, what's your well, philosophy? So, what's your uh, philosophy? Let's just go with that. What's your philosophy as a creative leader? My creative philosophy is, is just show up and just do it. Um, that's half of it right there. Just show up and do it. Um, I think the things that show in your creative work, um, besides just being, you know, dedicated to the craft are, are things that um, matter everywhere in life. Uh, be kind, be positive, you know, embrace faith once in a while. Um, remember that it's about people also and not just the work. Um, Excellent. As much as I want to do everything, I can do everything. Yeah. Um, many hands make light work and, and the people that you come across during your career, um, that you can help, uh, do it. And they, they may return the favor. And if they don't, um, at least you have the satisfaction of having helped someone. Um, if you want to communicate, which is what creativity and marketing is all about, communicating a, a product or a service to people, it's just, just communication. So it needs to be genuine. Um, if you want to succeed in that kind of work on yourself and just try to be a good person. Excellent. Eric, thank you very much. I'd love that, you know, I, I echo your words and I just want to close on the thought that on behalf of Elliot and myself, we want to thank you to be as, as our special guest today. I want to thank you for sharing your knowledge and your passion and your personal perspectives and your insights over your experience. Um, and I also want to thank everyone who's listening today. So please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And until next time, I'm Russell Kern. The Continuous Revenue Marketer has been brought to you by Kern. 
an Omnicom precision marketing agency that helps Fortune 500 companies increase revenue from customer acquisition to loyalty through personalization at speed and scale. For more information, please visit kernagency.com.